If Christ is king, how should the Christian consider the kingdoms of this world? What does the Bible teach us about human authority and what it means to love our neighbors and our enemies? Before we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, let's know what it means to render unto God what is God's. This is the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, the modern prophetic voice against war and empire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. This weekend, every week on Biblical Anarchy, we seek to live counterculture to the empire of man and to instead seek the kingdom of God by unpacking what the Bible teaches about government, authority, and human relationships. I am your host, Jacob Daniel Winograd. So for today's episode, we're going back to Freedom Fest interviews. This is actually going to be two interviews that I did with people who are pushing a sort of national divorce or secessionist movement in their individual states. We have one from the state of New Hampshire and one from the state of Texas. And so the word secession obviously comes with a little bit of baggage. People think about the Civil War and slavery. But the idea of secession is really as old as America itself or even older than that. But I, I would say that secession is a American tradition and virtue. We seceded from the kingdom of Britain to form the, you know, declare independence and form the country of the United States of America. And the United States of America was formed by the union of those individual states. And so the idea of the right of secession and the right of freedom of association comes into play. And as the federal government has grown more authoritarian, the call from a lot of people who are from different backgrounds, even not all libertarian, has grown in different parts of the country. And, you know, we hear people like Marjorie Taylor Greene talk about a national divorce. And this is something that a lot of libertarians support. There are also a lot of libertarians who don't support it. And so in these interviews, I talk with the individuals from the prospective states about the reasons why they think that their states should secede and continue to gain more sovereignty and independence to govern themselves. And I also try to give them questions that their critics would give them so that they have a chance to address them and give arguments in favor of it. So I hope you enjoy these conversations. And if you don't come away agreeing with them, at least it would be open your eyes to a new perspective, maybe get you thinking about ideas that you haven't before. I always say if secession isn't possible or optimal, then at the very least, talking about secession at least pushes the idea of a strong federalist model where we at least have strong individual rights, strong local governments, strong local sovereignty as a check against federal power. So as always, if you enjoy these conversations as well, please go to biblicalanarchypodcast.com and consider either making a one-time donation or making a monthly donation of $20 or more and becoming a LCI insider. All right, that's all I got for you for today's introduction. I think we have one more Freedom Fest interview, one or two more after this, and then we'll go back to regularly scheduled programming. So, all right, here you go. Hello, everyone. I'm Jacob Winograd. I'm here at Freedom Fest with the Libertarian Christian Institute in Memphis, Tennessee. And I am sitting down to talk with someone who is trying to convince me to move to New Hampshire. So uh, 
My name is Matt Saborn Dechouanier. I'm the chairman of the New Hampshire Independence Political Action Committee. It's quite the last name that most folks don't get on the first try, and that's quite all right, Jacob. So here this week with the Club 75 Alliance, we're here to talk about and promote New Hampshire, inviting libertarians to come to move to New Hampshire and perhaps help us succeed in the future. We had a referendum in the House last year, and in March of 2022, we had 13 reps, state reps voted in support of bringing the vote to the citizens, you know, one for each of the 13 colonies, I guess you could say. So we got a ways to go. We've had polling the past two years. Last year was done with Survey USA. This year was done with uh, University of New Hampshire. About 20% of the state supports a vote secession, about one in five. So it's a great number. It's a great number where I feel confident in the future. About two thirds of the state are dissatisfied with the federal government. So I think we're the leading edge in the larger movement. Gotcha. Yeah, I was just before you sat down, I was talking to Spike Cohen about Mm -hmm. nationalism and secession and things Mm -hmm. like that. So what is the driving force behind your desire to see New Hampshire secede? Let's get into that. Yeah, so it's just a general dissatisfaction with the federal government. So whether it's the foreign interventionism or the police state or uh, you know, just the taxation with the Federal Reserve and the endless debt. You know, those are some great reasons for New Hampshire to want to leave. We're already the number one freest state, we're one of the safest states, so sometimes you gotta show what you know to the rest of the world. I've only seen the situation that at the national and the federal level, the political situation get worse in my lifetime, so I don't feel funny. I feel like it's very a practical, a very practical uh, idea that could happen in the future. So. I'm philosophically in favor of Mm. of secession. I believe in freedom of association. And I think that the right to peaceful separation extends all the way down to the individual. What would you say to people living in New Hampshire that don't want to secede? How would you handle that? Like, are there, would you believe that they're, let's say that you guys passed whatever you needed to pass to declare New Hampshire's independence, but then there's the small minority. So you go yeah. from being the minority right yeah. now to yeah. they're, the, they're the minority. Yeah. So, this yeah. is- so we'd certainly be treating our loyalists a lot better than some of the loyalists were treated following the American Revolution. We'd certainly, if they don't want to stay, we'd certainly be sponsoring their move. If they don't want to live in New Hampshire anymore as an independent state, we'd certainly be sponsoring their move to whether it's Maine or Vermont or Massachusetts or another another state of their choice even. I know Steve talks a little bit about that in his Club 75 Alliance manifesto. So Steve Vallee is the founder of the Club 75 Alliance. He's actually going to be on the, uh, the Texit secession panel tomorrow night at 4.10 p.m. So be sure if you're listening in and you're at Freedom Fest to check that out and get a little bit more information. <laughs> yeah, so no, that's good. Why New Hampshire? That'd be a good question. I mean, I said it's the freest state in the union, mm-hmm. but I've, some people might think it's somewhat arbitrary. Is there, is there a specific reason? So, so why New Hampshire? Well, I mean, the Free State Project picked New Hampshire back in 2001. It was a very long time ago. So they based it off of its history, its culture, its current form of government was the best way for libertarians to come to move to the state and make an impact. And then and on, on the way, there's been a campaign for New Hampshire as its own country. And the foundation for New Hampshire independence has been around for about half a decade now. So this idea for New Hampshire as its nation state, it's not totally brand new. It's not like the independence referendum or the independence bill from 2022 came out of nowhere. So right now we're deciding, you know, there's a decision on when to do it again. Some people want us to try again in 2024. My first impulse was to wait a little bit because now we have a couple of years of survey data 
but I am doing my due diligence right now to hear all the arguments for yes to do it again. And then I'll be giving a recommendation to the state reps who do support independence on whether or not I think it's best for them to do it. At the end of the day, it's the state rep's decision to bring a bill to the House or not. What would you say to people who would, you know, like my thought with secession is always that I'm concerned that doing it bluntly all at once is going to invoke Mm -hmm. the... uh, response of the feds? <laughs> that's, and, a, that's a really good question. So, you know, the model that we'd like to follow is like Brexit. The British voted to leave and then there were negotiations on, you know, how to make it a smooth transfer. We'd love to do that as well. The 10th Amendment of the United States, the powers that are not delegated to the Constitution are reserved to the states, which includes being able to leave and form their own country. However, Steve with Club 75, you know, and I'm on the board for that as well, Steve also wants to go one further and get at a federal amendment to the Constitution that will expressly permit that as well, just double down. We want to have a nice relationship with all of our neighbors. <laughs> so uh, that's definitely an important thing to us. Negotiation requires two parties. Do you think that the other party in this instance would Mm -hmm. be willing to show up to the negotiating table or would they be bringing, uh, instead of pen and paper, would they be bringing guns? Uh, It would be incredibly (laughs) unpopular. Last year's survey showed that only 6% of the entire country supports the federal government using any sort of violence against the state that wishes to secede. We have the internet now. We have mass media. We saw what happened with Brexit. We saw what happened with the Quebec vote in 95. Obviously, they weren't successful, but it shows what the other side of it when it doesn't work out can be. Right. So another angle on this, so philosophically, I'm a ANCAP, mm-hmm. and I wonder, do you stop there? Do you mm-hmm. continue That's to... That's a great question, Do, do, yeah. do, we, do we go to yeah. individual counties yeah. or municipalities yeah. who, do, <laughs> do they have the right to say, we don't want yeah. to be part of New Hampshire? Yeah, so I suppose the principal answer is yes. I suppose if a county would want to leave New Hampshire following secession, I guess, but if that would be the case, if it results in the state breaking up even further, I almost... Part of me doesn't know if it would be... I don't know. That's actually not a question that a lot of us have discussed. Are, are, you, saying, we're, we're are still, you saying you're stronger together? We're still focused on the New Hampshire identity. I, I okay. think that is right now. But then there's also some people want to ha- go all the way to an ANCAP form of government. I personally, right now at this moment, New Hampshire was a republic before it signed the Declaration of Independence that we were our own country for six months, start with our president being Mishak Weir. He was the first president of New Hampshire. I personally, and I think most of the state would feel this way right now, that just maintaining the Republican form of government would be the easiest way to transfer. But I do know, and I respect everyone who wants to go even further to devolve the even the state government even more so. So, but that's okay if other folks want to do that. I am happy to play this piece in the puzzle right now with the political action committee. Yeah. And uh, you know, this maybe another team will worry about what's it going to be like completely after. I know we have the Foundation for New Hampshire Independence, that nhindependence.org, that gives a really good illustration on what life could be like. We want to create as much certainty as possible and provide our citizens with basically sovereign options. Yeah. What would New Hampshire do for currency if it declared its independence? I'd imagine we would no, yeah. you'd no longer be using federal reserve notes. Well, that, that would be, that's a wonderful dream. So, <laughs> so I would like that to be the case. Ideally, we'd be using gold and silver. Of course, New Hampshire is one of the three polities in the world where you can live entirely off of Bitcoin as well. So there's certainly lots of options there. Is there any work being done 
or at least encouraged by like the Free State Project, your group, et cetera, to yeah. increase more like infrastructural mm-hmm. compatibility with things like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in New Hampshire, make it more accessible, get people more on board with stores and stuff to accepting mm-hmm. it and things like that. Yeah. We have a gold back exchange in Manchester right now. We have many businesses that are signing up to even use gold backs. There's, you can get the Liberty Block of Media Outlet is sponsored by a guy named Silver Dave. Now we have Silver Bullion in, in the state. You're able to get it if you'd like. That's the movement we'd like to go to, but we definitely need to escape from the Fed. Like They're certainly escaping from the Fed in that regard. You know, Of course, there's always the barter system to resort to. Now, that's the very backup of all the backups, but that's not my initial. I definitely want to see more real money in the state first. You said you want to live at peace with all of your neighbors. Yes. Is the uh, How much of the, I guess, like growing state or national identity that sort of New Hampshire wants to carve out? Yeah. You know, are people generally amenable to wanting to associate with their neighbors and do free trade? Or are they more, they value self-sufficiency more and, and wanting to be more isolated? I'm just curious well, what the culture I, is like. I think it's important that we're prepared. If we could be isolated, we'd be prepared. That's a great standard. It's always good to be prepared. You know, preppers. That's a great thing to be prepared for. We still want to trade. We would still want to trade with Massachusetts, with Maine, with Vermont. You know, we're happy to be neighbors. But the reason why people are moving to New Hampshire is because the quality of life in those states created by the state government of Massachusetts is not necessarily conducive to liberty. So, you know, a lot of people come up to Massachusetts to work, and we, we don't want to stop that. As we wouldn't want them to stop that. What are you going to do with the Federal Reserve buildings left behind? <laughs> so that's, a, that's an interesting question. And all the, all the, all the U.S., not yeah, just the Federal Reserve, but yeah, all the government. So, so with the Constitution, there's only so many, the only kinds of territories that the federal government is allowed to actually own are like military bases, docks, yards, and a few things. So 80% of the federal government is illegal right now. So all those federal parks, ah. it's, it's actually unconstitutional. It's outside of the Constitution on what the federal property can own. So if it's a Federal Reserve building, well, first off, the Federal Reserve is private also. So I don't have an issue with our state taking back anything that's federal. And then as far as negotiating for any constitutional properties owned by the federal government, you know, that would be discussed in negotiations and treaties. Gotcha. Libertarian Christian Institute, we obviously Mm -hmm. approach things from a bit of a Christian Mm -hmm. angle as well. I think some Christians, when they hear the idea of secession or national divorce or these kind of things, Mm -hmm. their concern is, well, are you, one, are you prioritizing like a national identity over a Christian identity? And also, if we're to live in the world, Mm -hmm. you know, be light and solid in the world, is there a danger in becoming too isolationist and kind of like retreating back from the world. What would your response be to that? Well, I don't think we're becoming too isolationist. I mean, there's other independence movements going on right now with Texas and California. Those are some good allies as well. New Hampshire itself is actually a very secular state. It's actually, or at least it portrays itself as secular. Maybe people are very religious and they just don't want to report what their religion is on the surveys that they take, you know, which is within their rights to do so. I know I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sundays. I think it's great that we have freedom of religion in our state. As far as identity is concerned, I think everyone is still very attached to the American identity. And, and, and while I do think the emotional attachment, the American identity versus a New Hampshire identity, to me, it seems like you would, we would have to create, you know, a new national identity would need to be created, rooted in, of course, New Hampshire's history, of course. But as far as being separate from the American identity, we all believe, a lot of folks up in New Hampshire with the Free State Project, you know, believe that each state has its own character 
that makes it different from all the others, which I think is kind of fun. There is a diversity between all the different states. And I think that will, the culture that is New Hampshire, which I think right now is kind of like a merger between, you know, traditional American culture and, you know, this libertarian culture that we have coming. And I think that's going to be the, uh, the end result. Looking at the Bible, we do see examples of separations. I mean, mm-hmm. you could look at the uh, Israelites leaving Egypt as a mm-hmm. form of separation. Mm-hmm. You could look at also in the book of First Kings, the breakup of the kingdom of Israel is, mm-hmm. is laid out. And so I often will use those as examples of how the Bible isn't in opposition of secession or mm-hmm. peaceful separation. Mm-hmm. But a concern, which I think is maybe somewhat valid, is that, well, you could look to that history and go, well, after the northern and southern parts of Israel broke up, mm-hmm. well, you know, it wasn't too long later until they were conquered by, <laughs> by, by neighboring nations and stuff. <laughs> so is there a concern there? Would New Hampshire need to form its own national militia to secure its own defense? Obviously, we believe as libertarians that free trade goes a long way towards mm-hmm. preventing conflict. But I don't know, what are, you, what are your thoughts on well, that? Well, we have our own National Guard. And right now, to me, that keeping that National Guard there would be just great. I mean, we, you know, we have certainly have the First Amendment, we have open carry, we have concealed carry in our state, no problem. The citizenry at the end of the day is the militia, you know, they're responsible for, for looking out for each other. We'd have our own National Guard still. So I think that kind of, you know, trying to keep as much of what we have going on already within the state is, I think, the best way of ensuring, inspiring confidence for secession and securing independence. So as we wrap up here, I guess if you were would say you're in New Hampshire or you're even here, you're, you're mm-hmm. going up an elevator with, uh, mm-hmm. with a libertarian and you're trying to convince them to move to New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. What is the 30-second elevator pitch for why the best course to someone securing personal liberty and advancing libertarianism on a broader scale is to congregate in New Hampshire? Yeah, so you, you can keep all of your income here. There's no income tax. There's no sales tax. We're getting universal licensure in our state now, so it makes it easier to come if you have a licensed profession, you can come to New Hampshire and move a little bit easier. It's easier for you to find a job if you have a licensed profession. So, and then uh, what else have we done recently? If you're running a homestead, no cap anymore on how much you can sell, how much product you can sell uh, before the state requires you to, uh, the state's no longer going to try and, and cap a homestead and force them to register and get licensed and force inspection. So, so if you don't like it, how maybe some other parts of the country hear about Bill Gates or the Chinese buying up farmland, you can have a homestead in New Hampshire and there's no limit to the amount of product you can sell. All right. Well, Matt, thanks for sitting down and talking with me. Is there anything you want to plug here before we close out? Yeah, so uh, NHIPAC.org, Club75Alliance.com. Come see our founder, Steve Vallee, at 410 tomorrow night on the, on the main stage. All right. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Hi, I'm Jacob Winograd here with the Libertarian Christian Institute in Memphis, Tennessee for Freedom Fest. And I am sitting down with someone who has apparently multiple different names. <laughs> it could be Jack Johnson or he could be Daniel Miller. So who are you really, I guess? But, and he is the president of the uh, was it Texas Independence. Yeah, we're the Texas Nationalist Movement. Texas uh, Nationalist or as Movement. most people refer to it, Texas. Texas, yes. Yes. Yes, I have actually mentioned you several times in several interviews that I've done here. Like I was talking to Spike Cohen earlier today. So could you introduce yourself a little bit quick and just kind of make your general pitch for Texas Independence? Sure. So look, just a little background about me. I've actually been working for Texas Independence since 1996. So I tell people all the time that it only took 20 years to become an overnight success. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But 
It came from this acknowledgement that the federal system was terminally broken, okay? And the options were not there to reform the federal system. And I was motivated by a statistic that I read in a book called Global Paradox by John Nesbitt back in the mid-90s, where he talked about at the end of World War II, there were roughly 54 recognized, fully sovereign, independent countries around the world. By the time of the book's publication, there were 192. Those countries didn't fall from space. The earth didn't get any bigger. They were people like us who just firmly believed that the best people to govern them just happened to be them. So it presented itself as a, as a phenomenal opportunity for us to do something that's fundamental in Article 162 of the Texas Constitution, reclaim our right of self-government. So since then, the, the TNM, the Texas Nationalist Movement, was formed in 2005. The issue of Texas independence was polling in single digits. As of today, We've grown to become the single largest political advocacy organization in the state of Texas outside of the two major political parties. We have had the Texas Independence Referendum Act filed twice in the legislature that would give us a Brexit-style vote on the issue. Republican Party of Texas, the dominant political party, has two planks in the platform calling for a vote. Libertarian Party beat them to it uh, by decade but they have it in the platform as well. And so, you know, we are we know that we're on solid footing. If it goes to a vote, it wins. And that's not just a hope, wish, or a dream for us. That was confirmed, not just by on-the-ground anecdote, but by a Survey USA poll that was done last summer that showed that if Texas goes on a ballot, 60% of Texas voters and 66% of likely voters would vote in favor of it. So we're really on the cusp of watching the birth of a brand new self-governing independent nation on the planet, and I'm, I'm happy. Libertarian Christian Institute, we had a session this morning and we have one this afternoon on nationalism, and that seems to be a topic that is in the public consciousness mm. right now, yeah. and it pertains to a lot with what you're doing. And what our founder, Norman Horn, said in his opening statement this morning was that a little bit of nationalism, a little bit of nationalist sentiment goes a long way, because... It seems to me that although there are some people who would be self-described nationalists who are doing so for reasons of centralization and wanting to keep their power and keep a hold over sure. groups of individuals, there are also groups like you, there's people in Florida, there's obviously like the Free State Project in New Hampshire. I've even recently talked to people in Hawaii who are big in trying to push a Hawaii independence movement. Yeah. And so there seems to be also an element of nationalism that seems to be, you know, from a libertarian perspective, a bulwark against globalism and a bulwark uh, or a response to, I think, where we're at now in, you know, like here in America, for example, where it just seems like we're, what, 330, 350 million people and we're all under this one overgrown federal government. As you said, efforts to curtail that seem to be going nowhere. Neither political party is interested in freedom or in libertarian values. So as a Christian... I look to a passage like Romans 12, which says, live at peace with all as far as it depends on you. Well, if you have you know, irreconcilable differences with someone, your options of peace are either to separate or find a way to work out those differences. But right. if they're irreconcilable, separation seems to me to be the only logical move, the only libertarian move, and the only biblical move in that case. Yeah, and to unpack what you just said, I mean, it, it really gets down to this inalienable right to reform, alter, or abolish your government in such manners you may think expedient. Article 1, Section 2 the Texas Constitution starts with the words, all political powers inherent in the people and all free governments are founded on their authority and instituted for their benefit. So I think from that perspective, 
aside from whatever the outcomes are, you have to fundamentally acknowledge that the people have a right, an inalienable right, to choose how they are governed. Okay, so once you acknowledge that, the question is, where does that outcome go? And that really gets to, I think, what you were talking about, about nationalism a moment ago. It is a term that has been, in my mind, unfairly maligned okay, for many years. If you look at the textbook definition of it, right, not the hyperbolic, sort of media-induced, neo-Marxist-induced definition, if you look at the textbook definition, it is people of a nation that are seeking independence, right? I mean, that's what it is. But I'm also firmly of the belief that part of the reason that it's difficult for people to have conversations about this is we have fundamentally conflated three terms, country, state, and nation. So a lot of the debate and discussion and hand-wringing around this comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of what those terms are. You know, the country being the land or the territory, a state being a geographically, politically demarcated place, you know, with a government, and nation fundamentally being the people, right? And that's what this, I think, boils down to for us in all these other states. We look at the construction of the union as it was intended, and it was supposed to essentially be self-governing, independent nation states that ceded certain tasks to a government that handled certain functions collectively, right? Like defense, foreign affairs, you know, those sorts of things. And in all other things, the states were supposed to function as self-governing, independent nations. You see that thread all the way back into Jefferson's Declaration of Independence when they declare themselves as 13 independent states and they refer to Great Britain as the state of Great Britain. They're essentially saying, we 13, not collectively, but individually, are now peers with the body that we're leaving. So that being said, what that means for us is, for folks like us that are looking for a path to liberty and self-government, you have to ask yourself, can you do this in the context of the federal system? And we look at the federal system and they have turned into ultimately the greatest enemy of liberty and freedom. So we have to begin that first step by reclaiming our right of self-government. And, and look, I'll, I'll just, I'll lay this on you. And I think that everyone, no matter what state they're in, needs to consider it from this viewpoint. Imagine right now, if your state was already a self-governing independent nation, like 200 other countries around the world, and instead of talking about withdrawing, you were talking about giving up control over your border and immigration policy, your currency, your defense policy, everything else. You were talking about giving up all that control and joining the union. Knowing everything you know about the federal government right now, <laughs> would you vote to join? No. And if you wouldn't yeah. vote to join, then why would you why tolerate stay? staying one moment longer than you had to? Yeah. No, I think that's a really compelling case. I think people's concerns, which I understand, and I'd like to hear a little bit of time we have left, how you would respond to those concerns are, how is this done peacefully? Mm -hmm. Which, again, I said earlier, the Bible commands me to live at peace with all. I don't want people to stay in abusive relationships. I don't care if that's an abusive relationship with a spouse. I don't care if that's with a parent. I don't care if that's with an employer or a coworker, and certainly not with their government. No. But I also don't necessarily want to advocate for things that are going to bring war or violence upon my community and family. I think some people, although they want that liberty, they feel constrained or held back by not wanting to, well, what's that saying? You know, they're more concerned with their momentary security than they are their liberty because of fear ultimately. So 
What can we do to, or what could you say to those fears that people have that there isn't a peaceful way to do this or that there would be some kind of reprisal for people trying to attempt this? Well, I mean, let's just take the reprisal aspect of it. First and foremost, you have to understand that what we're pursuing here is a peaceful legislative process, right? We're, we're going to have a law that enables this vote. The people of Texas, after a free, fair, full debate, will go and express their political will. Like we've seen done around the world dozens upon dozens of times in the last 100 years. Yes. Okay, so it's obvious from our standpoint, we're pursuing this peacefully as a process and not an act, right? We want the people of Texas to have their say. We want to have the debate. We want that to happen. So the question then gets down to your conversation about reprisal, right? Your comment about, well, what's the federal government going to do? Well, let me just say this. From a practical standpoint, given that the United States federal government has spent the last 75 years of its foreign policy uh, shedding blood and treasure to support the right of self-determination for others, has signed numerous international agreements, is dealing with a tremendous amount of internal forces, both political and economic, that would essentially destroy the union if they did retaliate or engage in reprisals. That's not a practical place for them to go to. But I also want to say this at a fundamental level, beyond sort of the practical, pragmatic aspect of it. At what point do we value our principles over what someone else will do, Mm -hmm. right? Over what their reaction will be. We have to do what's right for us. And we have to do it in the right way, right? Right timing, right manner. We have to do those things. But if the concern from people is such that they would be willing to give up their firmly held beliefs because of the threat of violence from the federal government, well, hasn't that really just told us everything that we need to know? I mean, that that tells us which way we need to vote now because otherwise you might as well just interchange the federal government for Kim Jong-un or Bashar al-Assad or any other third world tin pot dictator because that's where where we would be living. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that that's the correct response that they're, the concern, although I think that there's some warrant to it, is exactly the way you put it, that concern proves the need <laughs> to commit to doing it. Because if they were to act with violence towards people who are trying to peacefully say, we want to determine our own future, then how can you continue to tolerate that sort of relationship with that group of people? It's, it's just not, Look, not tenable. E- economic experts, military experts that consult for our organization have been very clear across the board that it is impractical for the federal government to retaliate economically or militarily on any state, not just Texas, any state that makes the decision that they want to be independent, given that they do it the right way. Because the consequences from that would eventually end in no union whatsoever. There would not be a United States of America. You know, right now, if states choose to leave, The United States of America still exists. Those states that continue to be part of that union are still part of that union. It exists as an entity, just with fewer states in it, right? But if they decide to retaliate, the consequences for that, that they have because of the internal political pressure and the economic pressure and the cultural pressure, means that there may not be a single state left in the union if that's what they try to do. And they understand that. So pragmatism rules the day. They'll sling a billion and a half dollars in propaganda to convince us that Texas means that grandma's going to die in a ditch or we're going to (laughs) get invaded by Mars or what's going to happen when we get hit by a comet. They will propagandize and they will lose. 
But at the end of the day, they're going to have to come to the negotiating table and be pragmatic or just be a bunch of petulant, thumb-sucking children, in which case we will do business with the world, we will trade with the world, we will become the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world, and we will be living free, happy, and prosperous lives with more opportunity than we've seen in generations. Yeah. Well, Daniel or Jack or whatever your real name is, uh, where can people find out more about your organization and what you're doing? Yeah, look, I would encourage anyone who wants to know about the Texit vote specifically to head to texitnow.org. Right now, we're running a petition campaign to essentially force the Texit question on the primary ballot in March of 2024. And any Texan out there that's a registered voter, I would encourage them to head over to texitpetition.com and uh, sign that petition. Help us get across the finish line and give Texans a voice in their future. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. You're welcome. The Biblical Anarchy Podcast is a part of the Christians for Liberty Network, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you love this podcast, it helps us reach more with a message of freedom when you rate and review us on your favorite podcast apps and share with others. If you want to support the production of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, please consider donating to the Libertarian Christian Institute at biblicalanarchypodcast.com, where you can also sign up to receive special announcements and resources related to biblical anarchy. Thanks for tuning in.